Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I am so excited that you're here and I'm looking forward so much to sharing this episode with Dr. Giovanni Washington with you. So we had a juicy conversation about the Black goddesses and what they mean, goddess energy in general. Dr. Giovanni Washington is the creator of the Black Goddess Oracle Deck. So we get into what that is and what it means to have Black women representing these goddesses that are historically Black goddesses and actually be on the card themselves as the image of the goddess and what that means for them to meet that goddess. So she's had over a thousand decks sold, and it's the only Oracle deck that features photos of Black women embodying the goddesses from Africa. So Dr. G also comes from a long line of educators, moonshine makers, and medicine women who took away pain even when rupture left them with only what was in the pantry. She's an intuitive healer with a special knack for recognizing the best version of you She fervently believes you can reach the next level and stands at the threshold, gently supporting your migration from one plane to the next. When she's not talking with the ancestors, she's out hiking with her husband, son, and pup, Pumpkin. So we had such a fun conversation. You can tell just from this bio that Giovanni is a magical person. We talk about other ways of knowing and learning things from our ancestral lineage. What does it mean to do ancestor work? And why is that so important for all people, Black, White, Indigenous, everyone to connect with their ancestors and how that work can be done? We talk about colonialism and its legacy, what decolonial practices look like. And she gives us some differences between what anti-racist work is versus what decolonial work is. So if you don't know very much about that, this will be a very informative episode for you. Of course, you can get in touch with Dr. G at all the links in the show notes. So if you identify as a Black woman and you would like to be a part of this project, she's looking for all different body types, all different ages, different types of hair, everything She'll tell you more in the episode, and you can also get directly in touch with her for this beautiful project, which is coming up very soon. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I, as always, love to hear from you. Please let me know if you have any feedback, comments, thoughts based on this episode, or if you have any recommendations for upcoming solo episodes, you can always email me, paula at weaveyourbliss.com. Hello, Giovanni. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paula. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, So I wanted to jump in first and talk to you about your journey to this work that you do with the Black Goddesses and like about your first encounter with them and what that was like for you. Oh, that's very interesting. I um, Let me see. My first encounter with the Black Goddesses was probably back in college. 
I went to a historically black university, uh, Florida A&M, Florida Agricultural Mechanical University in Tallahassee, Florida, which in and of itself was a huge shock coming from Los Angeles, where I'd grown up to this small, I wouldn't call it rural, but it's a very small town city where most of the population at at the university was black, which was also not my experience here in Los Angeles. But there were, there was definitely a big segment of the population that practiced African indigenous spiritualities and they were Ifa practitioners. I actually met the the American king, the American Yoruba king. There's a there's a Yoruba village in in Beaufort, South Carolina, where they practice traditional the traditional religion um, as it comes out of Nigeria. And anyway, there are adherents all across the country. There, you know, they're in Cuba, they're in Brazil, they're in Haiti, but they're also in Los in, in the United States. And so my first encounter was probably with Yemoya or Oshun, who are the, Yemoya is the goddess of the, of the ocean, the mother of the ocean. And um, Oshun is the mother of the sweet waters and of art and of beauty and of love. And in my very first reading in that tradition, um, I was told that the, the women are the goddesses that had my head were Oshun and Yemoya actually flipping back and forth. Like, like they, they took turns depending on what was happening in my life. That was that was my very first. I haven't thought about that in a long time. That was my very first encounter with the Black goddesses. And so, what led you to this in the first place? Did you have a very strong spiritual life as a child, or was this something that came later? I think I would consider it a strong religious life. I don't know that I would consider it a strong spiritual life, but we, my parents are definitely churchgoers. My mother was raised Catholic and went to Catholic school from kindergarten through twelfth grade. My father was raised Baptist and they couldn't stand each other's churches. So we actually were raised Methodist. And that's where we went. I mean, I think I even won an award one year. Like I knew the most Bible verses. And then there was another year that I went every single Sunday to church for the whole year. Like I was the only member in the entire congregation. Even my parents didn't go. Like I would make them take me to church. So there was, I was definitely maybe always seeking comfort from religion or from spirituality. But then about 16, I was like, wait a minute, you know, the hypocrisy just starts to shine through. I was like, this doesn't make sense. And what do you mean? Well, anyway, I can go into details, but it's, um, so that's, yeah, that's sort of where I, we were definitely raised with a Bible in our house and going to church. And my, my dad's people are actually particularly religious and a lot of them are uh, Baptist preachers. So, uh, from Texas. (laughs) So we, um, we definitely come from people who believe, I'll put it that way. People who believe. So tell us a little more about the Black goddesses and why you think they hold so much potential for healing, especially for Black women. Oh, I love this question. I just wrote an, uh, an email about this, a newsletter. There, I think the Black goddesses have a lot of potential for healing, not and, and not just for Black women. I think that, I mean, well, the reason I started working with them in the way that I'm working with them now, I mean, there are two reasons, really. First was I ordered an Afro-Cuban Orisha tarot deck. And Oshun, who is clearly a goddess from Africa, from Nigeria, and she has clearly, she's taken other manifestations in Brazil and in Cuba, like, you know, as Ifa traveled through the transatlantic trade of enslaved Africans, she has shown up in other places. But in this deck, she was white. And I was so offended and so appalled. And it's like, this is just, you know, it's one thing to not have, to not see black bodies or brown bodies in the tarot and the oracle decks that I'd been using. And it's another thing entirely to see one that's clearly a black goddess being represented as the opposite. So that was problematic. And then the other part was, I do believe that images play a huge role in the way that we understand culture. 
I think that we've come, especially now, especially after like through COVID and with the whole George Floyd thing, I started calling it like black death porn. You know, like we're so it's black. The killing of black bodies is so normalized and violence against black bodies is so normalized and has been so for time. Like it didn't just happen. It's just now being recorded and and publicized with the way that the world was slowed down in 2020. You know, the whole entire world was able to see this man's life snuffed out in nine minutes, you know, like someone just at, against the pleas, against his pleas, the pleas of the standards, standard bystanders. So the, I was hosting a group of women, black women, actually, when we're doing some goddess work, this was before the deck became an idea and the Ferguson debacle came down. So this is one of another, one of those moments where there was unarmed, there was violence against an unarmed black man, a black teenager, actually by policemen who were then later acquitted and we were, I just remember the women were so upset and so riled up and we were, we all were just, we left that conversation resolved to do something about it. And for me, you know, my, I'm completely have dedicated my life to changing the way the world sees the black bodies. And it manifested because I was already working with these goddesses. It manifested in us like, oh, well, between this and the white Oshun, clearly there, the intervention needs to be in the Oracle world. And so that's how I ended up with the, with the Oracle deck, with the black goddess within Oracle deck. And I believe that just just holding the cards, you know, putting them in your hand and as a black woman being able to see divinity that looks like me, being able to see this power and this beauty and this grace that looks like me that's not only always portrayed by a particular kind of body, a particular kind of white skin body, like there's we have age diversity, we have shape diversity, we have body type diversity, we have hair texture diversity. You know there's all there's all this diversity in the deck that isn't in other decks. There are more and more decks coming out which I think is great. And what I'm reading, like the, you know, I, I spent a lot of time reading reviews of other decks and there's people want to be connected to their history. Like representation really matters. And I can't like, I can sure I can read and take in the wisdom on another card of a, with a goddess that doesn't look like me, but it doesn't land the same way. It doesn't sink in the same way. It doesn't have the same possibility for me when the image doesn't look like something I can relate to. Yeah. And I also want to just say for our listeners that may have not seen the deck, maybe just hearing about this, that these are actual images that you had Black women dress up as the goddesses. So they're actually representations of real women, but dressed up as as the goddess. So it's not a drawing, you know? So I want to be really clear that like what you're saying about representation is that these are actual women, actual women. They're photographs of women that are transported to their you know, their or- locations of origin and through the technology of Photoshop. They, women are not Photoshop, which I, I want to be really clear about that. Like, so you see the curves, you see the dimples, you see the quote unquote imperfections. I think it's juicy. You know, these are, these are real women. They're, they're real women. So we're, well, I'll talk about that. We're making another deck, but I'll talk about that in a moment. So I think that it's healing for black women in that way. I think it's, it also, it reconnects not just black women, but I think all people, it reconnects all people to sort of the lost histories of histories that were lost in the middle passage. You know, we have been, we were ripped from the cultural information, the stories, the wisdom, the knowledge, all of that, that was in those cultures that we were taken away from when we were pulled from, when as people who were enslaved and they were for, forcibly removed from those lands. I literally, in my head, I see like a, a thread and a needle, like we're, we're stitching up just a little piece. It's, you know, it's not everything we've lost, but it's a piece. It's a, it's a connection. It's a ribbon. It's a through line that I think really informs our wholeness and your lives are different. You behave differently. You move differently through the world when you come from, when you're coming from a place of wholeness, which to me is 
all that healing is about. So I think it's healing for Black women in that way and for Black people. And I think it's healing for everyone else. Again, I, I think there's a lot of ways it's healing for other people. But I think that white women, white people also need to see that divinity has this potential, that divinity can be like this, that power and beauty and grace also can be manifest in Black bodies. You know, there's a quote, it's an African proverb. It's like if you you, you, edu- you educate a woman, you change a nation. It's something that's a bad synopsis. But as a white woman, white women have access to spaces I don't have access to, right? They have access to other white women, to other white families. And if they can take that information back, if they can share this information with other people, it's the ripples go out much faster, much further. And so in that way, I think it also creates a healing because we're, I mean, we are all, we are all impacted by the ravages of colonialism, you know, none of us is exempt, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter how you got here. Like none of us is exempt from colonialism. And so that's, I think this is a, it is, it's a healing intervention. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think this is why I was so moved by your work originally is when you were talking about that ancestor piece and how we do recover those storylines, even when things have been basically demolished through the colonial process. When you start talking about that, I was like immediately drawn in as a woman who has indigenous blood, you know, to the fact that I don't have a connection to that lineage. The last person died when I was seven years old that could tell me some stories and they weren't passed on to my mother and her sisters. There was a lot of shame. There was a lot of like, there's layers on top of what it means to have that. So I've been very curious about how to recover those stories for myself. Being a white passing person, I have a lot of privilege, you know, that's, that is different. And I totally recognize that. But when you started talking about that, I was like, I've been thinking about like, how do we recover those ways? And a lot of the ways in the native tradition is nonlinear. And it's like, how do we explore those things, not through the head, but through the heart, through the body, you know, so that really spoke to me about what you've talked about and what what you've shared around this just now. 100%. And I feel really compelled to say this right now. I think that there are many ways of knowing. And I think somewhere I've written about like dreams or DNA, they're equally important, right? Like sure, your DNA can tell you where you came from. It's getting smarter and they're getting smarter about it. And they can, they can now pinpoint villages, you know, where people came from, where, where African-Americans came from. But my grandmothers, and I mean, not just my grandmother, but the, the woman who came before her, they speak to me in my dreams. And that information is just as valid as the spit test from any of the websites. It's, and I, so I, I think, and there are other ways of knowing. Like there, when I was in African dance class, I mean, I've been dancing, doing African dance for probably 25 years at this point. And I, for the first 10 years, I would often hear songs being sung in class. I mean, to the point where I would look around and try to find people who were singing and there was no one singing in class. And like at the time, I may have thought I was a little off, you know, out of my mind. But as I've gotten older and matured and done more of this work, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That was information. That was a legitimate song that went with that rhythm that was serving some sort of healing purpose. The fact that no one else heard it didn't mean that it wasn't happening. You know, because I, I wasn't in a dream state. I was very much in the class, sweating, feeling the rhythm. I think that experience is not unique. I think we all have, we can all tap in to those kinds of things, that, that kind of information. Absolutely. So my point is other ways of knowing. That was my point. Yeah. And also just, you know, finding ways of connecting. Like for me, my husband has been very involved in Lakota ways and Lakota, I'm, my background is Cherokee, but Lakota ways are the way that I can tap into that indigenous worldview. I've also spent a lot of time in India, which has this kind of 
old ancient wisdom that is still living. It's still being practiced. And tapping into that also helped me, even though it's not the same thing. You know, for those of you out there who are listening, who are like wanting to get reconnected, could you talk a little bit more about the work you do around connecting people back to their ancestors? Because also just to say like white people have ancestors too. And I think, I think we all just have been put into this melting pot because I also have white in me. So I can say we (laughs) for all of these things, but it's, it can be very confusing because I think we, as a white, a nation that has mostly white people in it, we can assume that like we're just one thing and that that's okay. And I think that causes people to oppress other people when they don't know what their roots are. So maybe you can share. Yeah. So the term white is really interesting and that at some point it became a catch-all and it became a haven. You know, if I don't have to be Irish or Polish or, or Jewish, you know, whatever the, the ethnicity of the day that was being ridiculed, if I can be white and leave all of that behind, it was in many cases, I think it was a, a deliberate forgetting and then so that we can be part of this ruling, this ruling class. But the reality is people are Polish. People are, you know, Eastern European. They are Italian. They are Irish. They are all of these things. And at some point we all have indigenous roots. I feel like I need to be careful and really clear when I say the word indigenous to not conflate it with the, uh, the political term that is, you know, used or in the political way in which Native Americans use it now, which I think is completely legitimate. And also, we all have roots. We all come from somewhere. And in many cases, especially Americans, I think we have to do a little work. I think we have to go a little farther. We have to ask, we have to ask some questions. And we also have access to a lot of data at this point. And I think the, the search needs to happen on both, in, in both sides. In terms of how I work with people, you know, people come to me when they're at a crossroads or when they've tried everything else. You know, they've tried therapy. They've tried coaching. They've tried, you know, all the things. Sometimes people have a very clear sense that something is going on ancestrally that they they can't necessarily explain it except to say there's something going on in my roots or in my lines, you know, my ancestral lineages. Sometimes people are repeating the same patterns that they're in their family or they're stuck in a cycle that they can't seem to explain. Like I keep doing the same thing over and over again. And so when people come to me, um, we, we do utilize as many methodologies as we need to. So I believe I'm a big believer in dreams and tracking your dreams. I also believe that if people are willing, you know, getting their DNA done is useful. It's, I don't think it's the only thing. And I don't, I don't think we, we don't privilege it, but it's certainly useful. And it's really about uncovering the stories and uncovering the wisdom in your line. So we have, I believe at least three kinds of lineages, your blood, milk, and spirit line. So you have your bloodline, which are those who are genetically related to you, your milk line, which are those who nurtured you. And as an example, my advisor, Alan Roberts, was in my academic lineage. Alan Roberts was my advisor. He was the advisee of Victor Turner, who was the advisee of um, Arnold Van Gennep, who was the European man who characterized rites of passage. Mm-hmm. So I have his book. So those, that, that is my academic, you know, heritage. And I say that they are my milk line, which is, it's, it's all kinds of problematic, but they are my milk line nonetheless. So that's an example of milk line. And then spirit line are those beings who may or may not be human, who walk with you and don't fall into those other categories who are not necessarily your bloodline and not your, your nurture line, your milk line. I also think sometimes if there's a martyr line, I, but that's a, I want to say that I did not coin these terms. These are terms that are in use in this world, uh, in this, in this field. But I also think that there's a line of people who 
like die for a cause and they are either they're martyred themselves or they are martyred. And I think that's really important to recognize. So, okay, the four lines, blood, milk, spirit, martyr. And this is also mirrored in genealogy work. Like my genealogist I work with says, you got to pick one line. Like you can't search all the lines at once. It's just, I mean, you can, but you're going to go crazy, right? It's just too much information. You get lost. And, you know, it's exponential. Like the further you go back, the more and more ancestors you have. You go back four generations, there's, you know, how many, how many people? Five generations, how it's, it doubles. So I don't know if it, I think it more than doubles. Anyhow, we pick a line in one of those lineages and then we go back and we get the stories. So I, I mean, I feel like it's easier to give you an example. Um, I worked with a, with a client whose father was much older than her mother and died very early in her life. And then her mother also died. And so she was raised by family members and she didn't know who, she didn't really know anything about her father's side. And we ended up, I helped her actually locate her father's burial ground, which she couldn't figure it out, but we, we located where he was buried. And then we put her in, con- I got her in contact with some of her father's like nieces and nephews. And so now she has a daily conversation with her father's side of her family that she hadn't ever, she had never, she just had never had it. And she's a 50 year old woman, you know, but there's been this hole in her. Um, all this time. And sometimes a little difficult to talk about the story without going so much into detail. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain what I do. So I, I, I'm like, what do I do? So I'm curious, like, what does this ancestor work do? And why do you think it's so necessary? Like, we kind of have talked about it. But, you know, let's like hit the nail on the head. Like for those who are listening, who may be like, Ooh, I want to do that. The clearest example I can give you, the, I think the hard thing about ancestor work is that it's kind of never finished. Right. You, there's never like, okay, this is wrapped up in a bow. I think you get to plateaus and then you get some more information and you keep going. You know, and people bandy the term about quite a lot, ancestral healing, ancestral work. I actually call what I do ancestral restoration because I think that there's this piece of uh, poetry, like it, it, there's like a poetic approach to it. And as an example, you know, you asked me how I got into the, the black goddess work, but how I got into the ancestral work really was when I was two years old. Um, my mother had triplets. They were born six months early. So this is 1977. Two of them died within like six hours. And then my third brother, he was actually the second one to be born, but he, he lived until he was like 38. And for really all of my life, we, I can count like three times we had conversations about these other two brothers. And about five years ago, I got a bee in my bonnet. Like, I, I don't understand where it came from, but I do understand, or I do believe that when the ancestors talk to you, there's an urgency with which they talk to you. And it was very clear to me that I needed to go find them. And I talked to my mom about it. You know, her perspective was, I baptized them. I sent them on their way. They're fine. Like, she's, I'm, I'm good. Like, she was, she was whole about it. I was not. I was the one who didn't. I was like, I got to find them. And so did the work at, so here's the situation. The woman, there was a, a nurse, I guess, who told my mother, I, they, had a, they had a Catholic charity burial. And they told my mother that they would ne- she would never know where the boys were and that they would be buried at the feet of adults. That was sort of, she actually didn't, she had never said that to me until I asked when I was 41 years old. So, for, you know, four decades went by without me having that information. And I was like, wow, that's terrible. Well, it turns out it's public information. And so I was able to go find them. It was Baby Boy Washington 1 and Baby Boy Washington 3. They were born, obviously, on the same day as my brother. One of them died an hour and a half, lived for 90 minutes, and another one lived for six hours. And then I'm looking at the birth cert- the death certificate. I realized that 
the burial places, the cemetery is on the birth, on the death certificate. So I call them. I won't go into all the detail, but I found them. I was going to go into yeah. all the detail, but I found them. And it actually took me longer at the cemetery to actually locate them than it took me to get the certificate and actually be like, oh, well, here's, here's where they are. So in the end, so we found them, my mother and my aunt and I went to the, the cemetery. We actually located where they are. They are marked. They're buried in an unmarked grave. They're buried in a box together. They're not at the feet of adults and they're buried over two other infants. So they got four infants in one plot, I guess. And which is how they baby, they bury babies. But you know, who knew? I didn't know these things. We then that evening had a naming ceremony. We pulled our community together. My mother had chosen names for them. So we named them. And then we changed, we actually got their names changed on their birth certificate and on their death certificates. So they're literally changed in the record now. And here's the restoration. Yes, that was definitely for my family, for, for my brothers, but it was also on behalf of all the Africans who didn't make it across the Middle Passage, for all the African and African Americans who died without ceremony and were buried without ceremony on this, you know, on all, all these shores, all the shores of the Americas uh, and on all the islands. And that's what I mean by ancestral restoration. So when you go and you are making the restoration, when you're, when you're, I don't want to say making it right, because that I didn't make my brothers die. Like I was, it's not a right that I wrong, that I made, that I committed or wrong that I committed. But there was definitely a hole in me. There was something that was that was not sitting right with me. And they wanted to be found and they wanted to be honored and they wanted to be on the altar and they wanted to be named. Mm -hmm. And then in a council we were having, we realized or someone brought up like, this is not just for them. This is for all of these other folks too. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that is the answer. That's, that is the ancestor work that I do. That is the kind of ancestor work that I do. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's really powerful. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets. And it goes in depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us and what to do about it. You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology, what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. You kind of answered my next question, but can you help us kind of unpack how this relates to decolonization and, and your work with decolonization, sure. what that word even means for people who may not know? I, you know, in our pre-podcast conversations, you said you wanted to know the, like, what's the difference between anti-racism and decolonization? And I really was stumped for a while and I had to think about it. But to me, the deck, for example, the Black Goddess Within Oracle deck is a project in racial healing. Right. And I, the healing that's available for white people is different than it is for black people, but I think, and all other people's, but I think healing is available, right? Racial, particularly racial healing is available. These black goddesses for me are part of my nurture line. They're part of my milk line. Right. And so that's how, that's the connection. 
And I think racism or anti-racism is the constellation of activities that one engages in to combat racism, right? To combat inequality, to combat injustices, to combat discrimination. And I think that decolonization is actually, I wrote it down because I was so excited about this. It's a process of healing the ruptures created by dominant or colonial ways. I think even remembering or acknowledging that there are other ways of being is like the first step on the decolonization project. It's a return to the old ways, a return to the mysteries, a return to the comfort of beginner's mind, and it's a return to right relationship with Mother Earth. And so I think that can that can manifest many, many, many ways. But I think that's like, if you if you maybe say it in a sentence, that is your sentence. That's a good sentence. <laughs> it's good. I, I was like, oh, that's what it is. Because I, I, And I think it's great because, you know, we, we say all these words. I don't necessarily think that we always agree on terms. And so it's really important to know what you mean or what I mean when I'm saying. It's important that you know what I mean when I say decolonization, just like it's important that I know what you mean when you say decolonization. And I feel like that's the part of the decolonization practice is to be more transparent, to like reveal these systems as they're happening, how they affect us, you know, like perfectionism and scarcity thinking, like all these things that have us kind of tied up to start to pull those things apart by admitting that they're actually happening. and. Get and get into the terms. What are we talking about? Well, thank you so much for explaining that. And I want to kind of wax poetic a little bit about your chart because just hearing you talk, you have Venus in your first house. And so Venus is that goddess energy. It's that like beauty, that juiciness, you know, and what's interesting about your Venus is it's being aspected by the super strong Mars that's right in the top of the sky in your 10th house. So like you are on a mission and it involves bodies and it involves the mystery and it involves like transformation. You know, there's that combination is just like, it's like on fire. So I think that's such a beautiful thing. And you've been in your Venus period now for, let's see here, since you were 30. So there's this like, you know, coming home to the goddess in this very powerful way. Um, Also, when you were talking about like receiving messages and like things that are not part of this material plane per se that that are valued like you have this super strong jupiter in the 12th and it's with the, your sun so you're you have this essential knowing that that stuff is valid it infuses you with confidence that you understand that but also saturn aspects onto that so sometimes you're like was that really happening <laughs> can i really trust this you know cuz saturn likes to kind of constrict and make us doubt ourselves. But it's such a beautiful thing to see because I know that Mars is leading your mission. It's it's like really pulling you forward. So it's it's really cool. So thank you for confirming that that I'm in the right place and have been here for a while. Does it say how long this goddess leading happens lasts? Oh, it's gonna shift into your sun period when you turn 50. So what's cool about that is that sun is with the Jupiter, right? So it's gonna be like you may be going deeper into your own practices, doing a lot of traveling abroad, maybe taking people back to their ancestral homes, which I know you've told me you are interested in, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. So yeah, it's kind of exciting. So let's get more into the Oracle deck and talk about like what the project is now. You're looking sure. to expand it, right? We are. We are collaborating with a large international publish house, publishing house, um, which I'm very excited about. And we're expanding, not expanding, we're creating a new deck and it's going to be 44 cards. The first deck had 13 cards. So this is going to be at least 30 goddesses in this deck. 
I actually have a list of database of about 113 goddesses sitting waiting to come out into the world. And I am working in collaboration with women who are going to go through a, it's called Meet the Goddess Within, the Meet the Goddess Within Within process with me, a six week online process. And then we get together. We have a, an initiation process basically, which involves taking pictures and an African drum and dance ceremony and, and celebration. And I'm super excited about it. That's happening in May. And yeah, I'm looking for people who are down to dismantle white supremacy and also love to be glammed up and want, you know, who rep, who identifies black women who would like to participate in the deck. And what I'm realizing, you know how you do things, but you don't necessarily know that you're doing them, but they're a part of everything that you do. So I'm really interested in reparations, <laughs> like in general. And I think reparations is very complicated. And I think it's Actually, let me rephrase. I don't think reparations are complicated. I think that in this <laughs> yeah. country, we make, we, it, it's very politicized and therefore very complicated. But there are clearly wrongs that have uh, around the black body that have not been acknowledged in this country, let alone financial reparations given. So I'm interested. I'm, I'm actually opening this process up to non black people who would like to support the project so they can also participate financially um, by supporting financially. And uh, conscientious reparations. And we'll provide the links for that, for how to get in touch with you for the reparations piece. All of that will be in the show notes. You can check that out. Excellent. That's something you're interested in. And then the Oracle deck will be out in the future based on that work. Summer 2023. Perfect. And meanwhile, they can get a copy of the current deck. Is that right? They can. The current deck is go.blackgoddesswithin.com. I actually have decided this is the last I'm not... This is the last run. So there's only a couple of hundred decks left and that's it Beautiful. for the prototype version for the for version number one, volume one. So I have one last question before we jump into some rapid fires. What does it mean to you to live in your purpose? That's kind of the theme of this podcast in general is like following people's different through lines of how they figured that out themselves. So what does that mean to you? I have a long and winding road of discovering what I don't want to do. My list is very long. <laughs> um, because I've done a lot of things that didn't really bring me joy. I think that we all know our inner truths. And I think, you know, I'm the last person who's going to say meditate or get quiet. But I think in those moments when we can actually hear ourselves, you know, when we're at, we when we are still and when we are quiet, and when we can shake off the social mores and the expectations, that thing that makes your body buzz is your purpose. And living into that, all the doors are going to open for you. From a divination standpoint or, you know, a a more mystical standpoint, I think it's you fulfilling the contract with that you made before you came here, either with your, with spirit or with your ancestors. And it's in those quiet spaces that you can actually remember what that contract is. Okay. So let's jump into these rapid fires. Okay. So what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? Take a nap. Love it. Um, when you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what is the first thing you do to ground yourself? Oh my God, move my body. Mm-hmm. 100%. We have a tetherball outside. We bought a tetherball. What do you do with that? Punch it? You know, it, no, it's it's on like a pole with a string and there's a ball at the end of it. It's, we uh-huh. played in elementary school. And so uh-huh. I, I call Lyndon outside and we play for like 10 minutes and we fall out laughing and then we go back to work. That's great. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite hot beverage? Throat coat tea. Oh, nice. I've never gotten that answer before. (laughs) And what would be your last meal on earth? Ethiopian food. 
Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I haven't had that in so long. Specifically, yebig tibs. I like lamb tibs or the fish tibs or the beef tibs. Any of the tibs. <laughs> um, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part is non-negotiable for you? Um, you know, I don't really have a morning routine. It typically involves getting my kid together and going to school. I mean, that's the routine, but there's not a lot of time for me in the morning. I really enjoy walking my dog in the morning. And now that I'm not doing it because of dropping kid off, my husband's doing it. I'm doing it anyway. I, I realize I really miss it. There's the, the dog walking. There's something that happens in your, it's moving, it's thinking, it's breathing. It's looking at the clean, you know, the, the clear sky, all of those things are sort of listening to the birds. If I could make that non-negotiable, I would. Awesome. So tell us about a person who inspires you and why. Oh, and you might need to tell us your favorite black goddess as well, or one that you're favoring right now. Well, I want to say Oprah, but I feel like I don't really have a good reason. Like my attraction to Oprah is that she keeps showing up in my dreams. You know, like I feel like she's talking, I mean, you know, she's a mogul, she's multimedia, but that's not what attracts me. But there's something about her personality. Um, like she's comforting, she's smart, she's incisive. She's no nonsense, but she's also funny. You know, she can laugh. There's something about Oprah and her showing up in my dreams. I'm really, I love her. <laughs> it's interesting because you guys have some overlaps. Like she also has, like, if I remember correctly, she has a strong Mars. I have to look at her chart again, but she, she has that direct, no nonsense quality that Mars brings, you know? Is it possible that our birthdays are the same day? I don't know. I'd have to look. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like I've read that somewhere. Um, she's on my vision, but I'm, I'm going to meet her in the next two years. I love it. We're, we're, we're supporting that. We're sending the, what we say in Vedic is tatastu. May it be so. Tatastu? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Tatastu. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's very, I love the way that rolls off your tongue. Mm -hmm. um, and then my favorite goddess right now is Califia. She was sort of the, the patron saint, as it were, of the last deck. And she is not from Africa. She actually is like the mythical goddess of California. She was written, she was in a story that was written by, oh, I forget the guy's name, Galvan, a 15th century Spanish writer. And, you know, he was her brainchild. But Califia and her black warrior women protected the island of California. So the, the maps weren't completely drawn. And so California, it was thought that California was a was an island, the, that Baja was California, that was an island. They The only gold, the only metal on the island was gold. And so they were all clad in gold. And they were they protected the land with man-eating griffins, with the help of man-eating griffins, which are like half eagle, half lion creatures. And I mean, she ultimately, you know, goes back and marries a Spaniard and gets killed in the Crusades. But up until she leaves California, I find I'm, you know, she actually, her story also fed the gold, the, the 15th, 16th, whatever, the 1500s gold rush, right? So people thought because of this story that there was an excessive amount of gold in Baja or California. So they came looking for her, which I think is wild. And she, she's, you know, clearly a written piece of fiction Like you, you can see the first time she appears, but I'm fascinated by her and the fact that, um, her story keeps getting obscured in California and she's often portrayed. She has been portrayed as a black woman, but she's often portrayed as not a black woman, but she keeps coming back. She doesn't go away, you know, and she's, she, there are lots of, there are plenty of effigies of her as portraying a, a black woman. And I just, I'm fascinated by her. And so she, we sort of built the last program where we created the deck around her and that there's a, 
Nikki St. Fall did, did a, oh my God, a mosaic garden in Escondido, California. Where, and Khalifi is at the center of it, standing on top of a, like a 20 foot griffin. It's this huge statue of this big black woman with beautiful silver dreadlocks. Fascinating. So that's, and, and her mantra on back to this card says live into victory. So I'm, I'm very, that's where I'm at right now. I, I feel like I'm in a, a time of like winning and, and moving toward completion and bringing all the like bringing all the strands together so maybe we can pause the rapid fire for a second and just talk about the goddesses in general because i am a big goddess worshiper from indian goddesses you know there's like this power there's this beauty and and there's so many stories in india of how the goddess for example Durga, comes in and saves the world from this buffalo demon who's going to destroy everything when the gods couldn't do it so it's like the the energy of the the goddess is something that is like all encompassing or it brings the next level that we need. Uh, and it's always referenced as Shakti in, you know, the Vedic culture as well, which is like power, you know? So maybe you can say something about that before we go, go to the next question. Just I'm looking at the goddesses now in this deck. I see them and I see these particular goddesses in two ways. I see the women who met them. And I use the verb met intentionally because I don't think they were just portraying a goddess. goddess. These are not models. These are women who did work and looked inside of themselves and found these qualities and, you know, are able to wield them in their lives. So I see that. And then I see them bringing out the goddess and meeting the goddess and contributing to, you know, the library of images. I mean, I think they're, I think these goddesses in particular are fighting black death porn and they're, uh, they're doing, these goddesses are doing the work of changing the way the world sees the black body. And I do think they're powerful. And I do think, you know, there's, there's so many archetypes within the archetype of goddess, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got fertility, you've got abundance, you have warrior, you have, I mean, look at the power in this card. You can't see the card listeners, but this is a beautiful picture of um, Oya, who is the, queen or the goddess of lightning and death and rebirth. You know, she stands at the cemetery. They, they, they can just do, I feel like the goddesses remind us that we have all of these powers inside of us. So it's not just that they're powerful. It's that they represent what we can, like the possibility for, for people walking on the earth. You know, that's what I think the, like the juiciness of the goddesses is. So well said. Thank you, Giovanni. <laughs> Um, so next question, something that people might not know about you. My favorite thing to do in the world is river raft. And I have river rafted the Nile. Awesome. Yeah. Before they dammed it. It was uh, pretty in 1999, I think, is when that was. Maybe 1997 during my first trip to Africa in Uganda. It was phenomenal. You know, they rate rivers according to the rapids, which are generally caused by rocks. Well, the Nile is so powerful. It's all hydraulic pressure. It's just water. They're, they're, the rapids are not caused by rocks. They're caused by dips in the land and a shit ton of water. Mm-hmm. So what are you reading right now or a book that you would recommend to our audience, maybe about the topics we talked about? I keep my stack of books right now is ridiculous. And I have banned myself from buying any more books. And then I bought a book. Same. I was just, it's, it's ridiculous. I've got Abiola Abrams book that just came out recently on, um, the African goddess initiation. And she talks about, I think 22, 25 African or African diasporic gods and women. Some of them are women who actually lived and takes you through, um, I think it's seven initiations, 
by doing work with each of the goddesses. It's, it's a very interesting, very well done book. I'm also reading In My Grandmother's Hands with by Resma. Mm-hmm. I'm always afraid to say his last name. Minicum? Minicum. Minicum. I think it's that. I don't know. It'll and be in the show notes. Thank <laughs> you. I actually am also reading through Ta-Nehisi Coates's The Case for Reparations, which is a, it's an article, but it's incredibly long and should be a book. <laughs> yeah, it probably will so, be at some yeah. point. And it came out in 2014 and I actually have never read through it. So I'm, I started that earlier this week. Great. So we'll put links to those in the show notes. So, so this is the last one. What is something that is bringing you joy right now? I really like showers. <laughs> very simple and very simple. Honestly, I really enjoy watching my kid play soccer um, or volleyball, but soccer, we've been playing a lot more soccer than volleyball. I think that I didn't, I need, I need some more competition in my life. And I know that's probably not like a really wonderful PC thing to say, but there's something about watching my kid like body check another kid and make a goal. Like it's really <laughs> exciting. I really love to see him like to see his joy makes me joyful. You know, um, we were at a, a volleyball tournament last week or a couple weeks ago. There was one kid who maybe is not the best kid on the team. And, you know, they played seven matches over two days. And this was the last match. It was the third game of the last match. They'd lost all the games. In the last match, they got one game, they lost, they won the second game, and then the kid who wasn't great came in and served an ace and the, to win the game, and it was like the joy that went through everybody's body. That made me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> it, I don't, I feel like that's a terrible answer, and I should give you No, it's else. not. It's great. It I love really it. It was really joyful. It was, and again, it was great. just for people who are listening, that's Mars wanting some competition, you it's know, and... And Mars is so good at participating when things are like that, when it there's was a amazing. competitive edge. So it was amazing. It's good. Where can people find you on social? Instagram at Black, Go- at Black Goddess Within. And then on Facebook, just under my name, Giovanni.Washington. Perfect. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there every day. Thank you so much for your time and for this wonderful conversation. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode.